0: Revelation chapter 3 this morning. Revelation chapter 3. Hope you're glad to be here in the house of God today. If you can't think of anything else to do this morning, uh, pray for Brother Yonce. Brother Yance would probably much rather be here uh, this morning. I heard he's uh, getting some tests done. He's got a few health issues going on this morning. So uh, if you could pray for him, uh, that would That'd be a blessing to him, I'm sure. Uh, my family are all unwell at the moment, uh, with the exception of Nathaniel. He's here. He's There he is. Yep. Uh, yeah, he's there. Yep. Uh, but all the rest of them are at home sick, uh, and they were planning on, uh, I assume, are we live streaming this morning? Yeah, they're, they're supposed to be watching. Of course, they can see me. I can't see them, so who knows what they're really doing. They're supposed to be watching um, this morning from home, um, so it's like watching church on TV or something, and, you know, so I guess that makes me a tele-evangelist, and I don't even have anything to sell to you this morning, so, um, and because I don't have anything to sell, then that just means you just have to give me your money without getting anything in return, and that's how it works, right? Isn't it? No? No, it's not how it works. Okay. Um. Revelation chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning, um, but I'm going to backtrack in just a minute um, to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and connect a couple of passages of, of Scripture together. Um, let's stand as we read uh, together from Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 7. And before I get started, I just want to set you at ease. Some of you people that know me, you know, you know, a smoker, he goes long all the time. Um I'm going to try not to go long today for a couple of reasons, one of which is uh, I've got the plague myself and don't have a whole lot of energy in my system right at the moment. And look at that, how convenient, the first two rows are empty, I mean, so they don't get any plague blown on them from me this morning, so that's that's nice, um, that works out well. Um, but also, I understand that you know we we clocked over the daylight savings and all that, and you know it's it's a 21st century miracle that you all made it here on time this morning. So I don't want to keep you too long because you all more than ever need your Sunday afternoon nap, right? Um, okay, Revelation chapter three and verse number seven says, "And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right." These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Amen. May the Lord bless that reading from His Word this morning. going to be focusing a lot this morning on the the fact that that verse there says about that church, the Philadelphian church, it says that God set before them an open door. You may be seated now. May the Lord bless that reading from His Word this morning. Words are very important in the Bible. After all, it's a book that's made up of words. But phrases are also important in the Bible. And this phrase that we see there in in the Bible, I have set before thee, that five-word phrase is a five-word phrase that's only used three times in the entire Bible. And the other two times where God has said, I have set before thee, The other two times that phrase is mentioned are both mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 30. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 1, God said that he set a blessing and a curse before the nation of Israel. In that same chapter in Deuteronomy 30 verse 15, he said, I set before thee life and good or death and evil. And he said, I've set those things before you as well. Israel has to choose. In both of those cases, they have to choose from what God has set before them. And in fact, in the same chapter in Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, he says, uh, he specifically calls them to make a choice. And he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, Blessing and cursing. And then God finishes that verse with these three words. Therefore, choose life. Here's something that's really important for you to understand. We have a doctrinal plague in Baptist churches. It's spreading through Baptist churches nowadays. And that doctrinal plague is called Calvinism. And can I suggest to you today that the God of the Bible is not a Calvinist. Because the God of the Bible sets choices before people and He doesn't force people in any direction. Now the God of the Bible will lead you in the right direction, He will point you in the right direction, but He will not force you in the right direction. He said, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, and then he says, therefore choose life, but it's still your choice to make. I once heard a story of a man um, who wanted to understand about sheep. You know, the Bible says that we people are like sheep, okay, and it's not just because we smell bad, okay. Uh, There's a lot that you can learn about people by learning about sheep and The nation in the world that has more sheep than anyone else is Australia. The number two nation in the world for sheep is New Zealand. Uh, And so we grow up, where I come from, we grow up understanding a lot about sheep. But sheep aren't so common here in this country, which is a real shame because lamb tastes great. Um, And so there was this preacher that wanted to find out about sheep and he'd heard about these uh, particular... Sheep herders in the Middle East, and so he traveled to the Middle East, wanting to go to this particular region where the, where the sheep farmers were traditional sheep farmers. They weren't chasing them in, in Australia. Some of the farms are so big that they use, they don't just use four-wheel motorbikes to go chasing the sheep around. They use helicopters to round the sheep up and things like that. Some of these farms are so big. But this preacher wanted to learn about the traditional way of looking after sheep, and so he went to this region of the Middle East, and when he got there, he had heard about, you know, the, Jesus talked about in John chapter 10 being the good shepherd, and he says, you know, basically I call my sheep and, and they follow me. And this preacher wanted to see that. He wanted to see sheep that followed their shepherd and everything like that. And he went to this region, and when he got there, he was shocked to find rather than the sheep following the shepherd, he found a man walking down the street with the sheep in front of him and the man chasing them down the, the street with a big stick. And through his interpreter, he said, I'm shocked. He said, I heard that you people lead the sheep. And the man said, he said, I'm not the shepherd, I'm the butcher. <laughs> and, and the butcher might force you in a direction, right? But the shepherd will lead you in a direction. And God is a leader. God will lead people. God will point people in the right direction, but he won't force them. Now, in Revelation chapter 3, the Lord has set choices before the church. And he set before the Philadelphian church, it says, an open door. And he goes on and explains why there is an open door before that church. But when you get to the Laodicean church at the end of the same chapter, we find that there is a door that is shut. Because in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door. What happened between Philadelphia, where God said, I've set before you an open door, and Laodicea, where Jesus says, If someone will just open the door, I'll do something. Philadelphia chose the word. Laodicea chose the world. Philadelphia chose worldwide missions. Laodicea chose worldwide vacations. Philadelphia chose godliness. And Laodicea chose a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Philadelphia chose to be on fire for God. But Laodicea was comfortable with being lukewarm about the things of God. And I want to tell you this morning that the choices that you make are outrageously important. The church at Laodicea is the church which shut God out. And that, this morning, is not the amazing thing. The amazing thing is that the church that shut God out, when you read the description of that church in the previous few verses, God says, you're not cold and you're not hot. You're lukewarm and I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He says about them in verse 17, he says, you think that you're rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, but thou knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked... What amazes me is not that a church shut God out, but what amazes me is that the love of God is so strong that in despite of his honest description of them there, he still wants in. That's what's amazing to me. And can I tell you this morning that without going into a long doctrinal dissertation of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3... It represented seven literal places back in the first century. These were literal city- cities that had literal churches there. But historically, it represents the, t- from the church from the time of Christ until the time of the rapture. And the seventh of those churches, the latest church age, is a period of time that you and I live in today. It is 20th century and 21st century Christianity and every bad thing that God said about the Laodicean church reflects upon the church that we see today as a whole. It's not a pretty picture. And I'm not saying that to discourage you. I'm not saying that to criticize you. I'm saying that this morning so that you will understand In spite of where we are and the mess that we are in, there is an opportunity here for you today. You say, oh, is it revival? No, I didn't say anything about revival. I said there's an opportunity for you today. You've got to stop thinking about some big grand picture that's going to happen with everyone and start realizing As they tell you every time you get on a plane to fly somewhere, the first thing you need to do if there's an emergency is put your own oxygen mask on first, right? Don't worry about the person sitting next to you until you've got your own oxygen mask on. And we need to forget about worldwide Revival until we've got personal revival. And Jesus said there's an opportunity for it. Because he said if any man... In verse 20, hear my voice and open the door. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now that word sup there is an important word. Sup. It's not what you're asking people, what are they doing? Hey bro, sup. That's that's not it. That's not what it is. See, I'm learning to be American, slowly. I can get with you all. Um. That's not what the word sup means. It's referring to dining, as in supper, right? And the word sup there is used actually, it's used four times in the New Testament, not the word sup necessarily, but supper, as in the last supper. And when Jesus was talking about that last supper, in Luke chapter 22, verse 15, he said, "...with desire..." I have desired to eat this Passover with you. So when you connect all of the dots here this morning, Jesus isn't just saying, I'm willing to fellowship with you. He's saying, I desire to fellowship with you. He desires it this morning. So can I ask you a really simple question? Do you this morning have an incredible opportunity here today. I think you do. I think you do. But, that whole opportunity that God presents before you today, it swings on a door, does it not? You see, the opportunity to fellowship with Jesus, that opportunity is hindered by a closed door. And Jesus said, if any man hear my voice and open the door. Some time ago, I heard a saying, and I like short sayings, I like profound sayings, and if you can combine the two, and if something can be both short and profound, it fits my attention span, um, And I heard this saying, the biggest doors swing on the smallest hinges. Would you say this morning that the opportunity to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ is about the biggest thing that could happen to a man or a woman or a child? Then I want to present to you this morning that it probably swings on the smallest of hinges. Now, most doors, not all doors, most doors swing on three hinges. Thank God for all of you this morning. You thank God that doors usually don't swing on seven hinges because i got a point for every one of those hinges. So I don't have a seven-point sermon for you. I I took the time and effort to study all of the doors in our church building here this morning. we got these external doors there, and those ones there, they swing on three hinges. And these ones over here, they swing on three hinges. And the doors that you walked in through back there, they swing on three hinges as well. Now, if you came in through the glass doors from the side of the building out there, those ones swing on two hinges. So you can ignore the last point of my message this morning if you came in. No. Um, generally speaking, doors have a top hinge, bottom hinge and middle hinge and that's just how doors generally work. So I'm going to give you three things this morning that the opportunity for fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, three things that that door is going to swing on. And you need to get all three of them, otherwise the door doesn't open and you don't get the fellowship that you want. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get stuck into those three points. Heavenly Father, I ask for your blessing this morning upon the preaching. Lord, may it be a help to the people here today. Lord, when they leave here, may they leave here not having heard words from a a preacher... But Lord, more importantly, may they leave here having fellowship with you. Lord, what a blessing that would be if some person here today would say that today, the 8th of March, was a defining point in their life, a turning point in their life, a pivotal point, that their whole life changed because they opened the door to you this day. We ask for your blessing upon all that happens now in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to notice this morning is in Revelation 3 verse 20. We have as humans, as males anyway, we have five senses. We all know the ladies have that sixth sense of intuition, right? Sometimes that sixth sense of intuition does really well for the ladies and sometimes it lets them down a little. Men, don't be too critical because the times when it's working, sometimes she could save you from a world of trouble where you don't sense things through intuition. But the five that we all are equipped with are seeing, hearing, feeling, touching, and smelling, right? And when one or more of the senses fail, God has made your brain in such a way that your brain and your body can partially adapt to compensate for when the other senses fail. Blind people often have a really good sense of hearing. It's not that their ears work better than they used to work. It's that their brain pays more attention to what their ears are telling them. Right? Now, people who pick locks which we sometimes call thieves and stuff like that, but um, not everyone that picks lock is, locks is a thief, right, brother? Are you good at picking them? You, you pick the locks any good? You can do it, yeah. He's not a thief. Um, it's his job. He's a locksmith. It's okay. Relax, people. For those of you who didn't know, he's... Seriously, he doesn't go pulling things over his head and picking locks. And, but you know, for some people, it's just a hobby. Some people they like the challenge of being able to pick locks, and um, I'm one of those. And I'm not a thief either. I just enjoy. I got the lock picking kit, and I enjoy doing it. And you you got to twist this thing, and then you got to put your little the little combs in, and it's a really satisfying feeling when it goes kachink and opens. And like, oh look. I did it. Um, I enjoy doing it. One of the things that you learn when you're learning how to pick a lock is they teach you you'll do a better job with your eyes shut. Because when you close your eyes, there's very little, when you're picking a lock, there's very little that you can gain by looking at what you're doing. Not a lot's happening visually. So if you shut your eyes and switch that part of your brain off, then it helps you with being able to feel... What's happening and hear what's happening. And those things are way more important to a person picking a lock. I hope nobody breaks into any houses at the, mo- as a result of coming to church today and blames it all on me. I'm just trying to illustrate something to you. And here's what I'm trying to illustrate. Jesus here, when he's talking about this door, he calls out two of the senses. One, behold. That's the sense of sight. Look, look. But then he says, if any man hear. You know what the Lord wants you to do today? He wants you to focus this morning. Do you know what humans are really, really bad at nowadays? They're really bad at focusing on anything for any length of time. Attention span is out the window nowadays. And people the modern church has been trained to be way too in touch with the wrong senses. And that's why we've got a generation of Christians who will say things like this, I don't see what's wrong with that. Or, I don't feel like this is a problem for a Christian. They're all in touch with the wrong, all in tune with the wrong senses Jesus is speaking to a church that he just said was blind. And he tells these blind people, behold. It would be an insult for you to walk up to a blind person and say, look at me. Wouldn't it? But isn't that basically what Jesus just did? He said to a blind church, he said, Behold. Because Jesus is saying, you're not physically blind, you're spiritually blind and you need to wake up to yourself. It's a supernatural blindness and they couldn't see that they were blinded. He said they needed to have their eyes anointed with eye salve. And before we can ever be anointed with the Holy Spirit, we're going to need to stare straight down the barrel of the awfulness of our current condition. If you want to live in denial of what you really are, you'll never be filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, how can I prove that? From Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5, listen to this verse. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King the Lord of hosts. It was only once Isaiah saw the Lord and he saw himself as unclean that God could use him. And so if we can't be honest enough to look in the mirror of God's word, and by the way, God's word is a mirror, it exposes you for who you are and what you are and what you really like. And when you look at it and say, I don't like that, That's not the time to shut the book. That's the time to keep reading because God just doesn't show you what's wrong. He'll tell you how to make it right. We have this mentality in churches nowadays. It's just, oh, come as you are, come as you are. But what they're really effectively telling you is stay as you are and God doesn't want you to stay as you are. He wants you to see you as you are and abhor yourself. Wherefore, I abhor myself. And repent and sackcloth and ashes. And When you do that, God says, okay, now I can change you and we can have some fellowship. There needs to be a right kind of focus. There needs to be a visual focus, but there needs to be a focus of the hearing as well. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Now, I don't believe that the Lord knocks loudly. I believe that First Kings chapter 19 teaches us that the Lord was not in the strong wind. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. But after all of that noise had passed through, He was heard with a still, small voice. And can I say to you today that you'll never hear that still, small voice in any contemporary church within a hundred miles of this region with their amplified music and praise and worship team, they're making so much noise that no one will ever hear the voice of God in those places. There's a lot to be said for what used to be called personal devotions that used to be called quiet time. You know what people are terrified of nowadays? They're terrified of quiet time. They've got to have the TV on. They've got to have the radio on. They've got to have the internet going. They've got to have something jammed in their ears 24 hours a day because they're terrified of thinking. Because when you start thinking, you start thinking spiritual thoughts and God might just get involved and that might be a little bit scary. We need to get the right kind of focus if we're ever going to have fellowship with the Lord. Now, secondly, this morning I want to tell you we need to have faith as well. You could look at the layout sin church and say, What would Jesus want to have to do with me? But that would be trying to use your own logic, your own reasoning, or your own intellect. And if you try and use your own logic or reasoning or intellect to understand God, you're going to get all messed up. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 9, it says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Faith is not analyzing what Jesus said until it makes sense. That's not faith. When I was a little kid, they taught us a song in Sunday school, And it was a very simple song, it had to be, because I was in the class. And the song said this, Faith is just believing what God says he will do. He will never fail us, his promises are true. If we but receive him, his children we become. Faith is just believing this wondrous thing is done. That's what faith is. That's why Jesus talked about childlike faith. Faith is not rocket science. We try and overcomplicate things. You come in here this morning and you think, oh, preacher's talking about having fellowship with Jesus. Wow, this is going to be a complicated formula. No, it's not. It's a very simple formula. And now you're worried because you think, well, if I walk out of here without fellowship and it's simple, then it must be on me. Yes. That's right. If you walk out of here today without getting the point of the message, it's on you, not me. Because this is simple stuff. This is not rocket science. You say, how simple is it? Well, it's as simple as this. It's as simple as, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Do you believe it? You say, believe what? believe that Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. Do you believe it? You'd better believe it because it's what the book says. See, it's simple, simple stuff. Then secondly, it says, if any man hear my voice, well, do you believe that that includes you? It says any man. I think God's including any woman, any child as well, of course. Does that include you? And then thirdly, It says, and open the door. People say, it's not that easy. Oh, really? You want to tell me it's not that easy when Jesus said, all you have to do is hear my voice and open the door, then you're calling him a liar. He's not a liar. So it must be that easy. So the question is, do you believe it? Does it include you? And is it that easy? And the answer is yes, yes, and yes. And then he says, if you'll do those things, I'll come into him and we'll sup with him. Let me ask you this, do you believe he'd actually do it? I think he would. I don't think he would actually, I know he would. So let's not overcomplicate things today. You know what we're real good at doing? We're real good at praying for miracles and we're terrible at believing that they're going to happen. The great example of this in the whole Bible, we're not going to turn there now, you're probably very familiar with the story, but Acts chapter 12 tells us the story of Peter when Peter has a problem with a door. And the door he has a problem with is a prison door because he's on the wrong side of the prison door. And the whole church gets together to have an all-night-long prayer meeting to pray for Peter to get out of prison and God hears their prayer, answers their prayers, gets him out beyond that prison door, and he comes to where their prayer meeting is, and he knocks at the gate, and only one person even hears him. And I'm going to give you a little nugget from the Bible today that's not actually written in the Bible, but I figured this out because I'm really smart. Her name was Rhoda, right? Right? And she was blonde. That's the bit that you didn't get from reading the Bible. And the reason why, the reason why I know she was blonde is because when she hears him, she doesn't even open the gate to let him in. She gets all excited. He's here, he's here, he's here. And she goes running in. And she's, guess what? Peter's out there, Peter's out there. And you know what they say about her? You're mad. She had to have been blonde. She left him on the wrong side of the gate, got all excited, And no one believed her. That sounds like a blonde girl to me. I'm just trying to lighten the mood a little because you all seem a little bit, you all seem a little scared today. And I think I know what you're scared about. You're scared because this is a really simple message and like I said, it's on you if you don't get it. You know what I'm worried about today? I'm worried that some of you are going to walk out of here with the same mindset that the early church had who prayed for Peter to get out of prison and when he got out they didn't even believe it. I'm worried that some of you would walk out of here today and say, I went to church today and some madman from Australia said I could go and have lunch with Jesus today. And yeah, that basically is what I'm saying. You realize the vice president of this country, one of the things that the political left love to say about him is they say the vice president of this country believes that God talks to him. Okay, I don't have as big a problem with that as the left who believe that we came from monkeys. We need to have focus, we need to have faith. And the third one, turn to Philippians chapter 3. It's not found here in Revelation. You're always worried that the preacher's going to talk about money. Well, here we go. What's it cost to have lunch with Jesus? Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But what things were gain to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God, sorry, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Watch this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. So the first two hinges this morning were focus and faith, and the third hinge is the hinge of finance. And I'm not talking about your money, so you can relax. Not every price that you pay for something in this life is a financial price. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is at your door, waiting to come into your house. So who's paying for dinner? The answer is you are. You are. You ever heard that saying about a meal? Sometimes people don't know about the proper etiquette. What's the polite thing to do in society? If I invite these people out for dinner and we go and meet at a you know, obviously if I invite them to my house, then I have to pay for the food. But if they invite me to their house, then they have to pay. But I might be polite and I might bring a dessert or at least. And but what if we go to somewhere neutral like a restaurant? If I invite them to a restaurant, do I have to pay for them because I invited them to the restaurant? And you ever wondered about stuff like that? No? Okay. There's an old saying that the person who requests the pleasure pays for the pleasure. Anyone ever heard that saying? No one's heard that. No wonder you never pay for my meals, eh? <laughs> now I've got it figured out. Well, from now on, if you request my pleasure, you're paying for it. No, I'm just joking. There is, It is an old saying that if you request the pleasure, you pay for the pleasure. Right? The host pays for the meal of the guest. Fair statement? Well... In this passage here, isn't that the whole idea of when you go to a meal with a person, you know, you're getting to know a person, you go for a meal with them? That's what, it's less about the food, more about getting to know the person. That's the idea of fellowship. If it's more about the food than it is about the fellowship, then it's bellyship, not fellowship. Okay? Um, And if it's going to be fellowship, as it's found in Philippians chapter 3, and by the way, may I suggest to you that Jesus is a whole lot more when he says, I will sup with him, he's a whole lot more interested in the fellowship than he is in the food. Well, here in Philippians chapter 3, he's talking about the fellowship, and he says that I may know him. Those phrases fellowship and that I may know him are inseparable from the phrase for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, the fellowship of his sufferings and conformable unto his death. I want to tell you this morning that fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ does come with a price. And are you willing to pay it? Are you willing to pay it? I can't tell you what it will cost you, but I can tell you it will cost you. And the real question that I want to suggest to you this morning is not, what will it cost me to have fellowship with Jesus? That's not the question you should even ask. The real question you should ask yourself this morning is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Now, you might say, well, hang on, I don't know if it's worth it until I know what it costs. I say the cost is completely irrelevant if the opportunity is to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ then the price is irrelevant, and the answer is yes, it's worth it. My old pastor, when I was growing up as a boy in my late teens and early 20s in Australia, was a missionary from Missouri. And he read this passage here in philippians chapter 3 and where it says that i may know him he was struck by the reality he's like well i know of course i know jesus i'm saved i'm a, i'm a preacher i'm a missionary i know jesus and then he stopped and he realized well hang on this is paul who is also a preacher who is also a missionary and who is also an apostle And he realized that Paul, as an apostle, trumped himself. And Paul was writing about knowing Jesus and not making assumptions. My old pastor got under deep conviction about that. And he said, I know I'm saved and I know all about him, but I don't feel like I really know him. And you know what he did? He said he stopped and he prayed. And he said, Lord, whatever it costs, I want to know you. You know what he told me years later about that? He said within two weeks, he came down with the first of a series of illnesses that would stay with him for the rest of his life. And I remember him as an old man getting to the point where he was nearly dying. And he said, I never regretted praying that prayer. He said, because my fellowship with the Lord went to another dimension when I said I was willing to pay the price to know Him. So we have faith, we have focus, and we have finance. I want to finish with this today. It's a very popular way of getting to know people is asking them the quiz question, what Famous characters from history would you invite to dinner? You ever heard that quiz question before? What if you were going to have dinner with some with famous people, who would you invite to dinner? Sometimes they say, you know, you can invite three people to dinner. Sometimes they say six people. And if you could invite three people to dinner, who would you invite to dinner? If you could invite only yourself and two others to dinner, who would you invite? I thought about this a lot and I thought, well, I'd have to invite my wife. And I got four kids. And they'd all get bent out of shape if I didn't invite them. And I'd already figured out the first person I'm going to invite to dinner is Jesus. So if i got to bring Jesus, and I'm going to bring my wife, who else am I going to pick? And then I stopped and I thought about it. And I thought, I'm going to bring Brother Glenn. You're laughing, but I did because he's got all of these little video cameras, and I'm going to get him to record the whole dinner for the rest of you. <laughs> right? And he's going to have his little GoPros and everything set up on the dinner table so we don't miss it. And and, and we, the only thing we're going to be interested in is Jesus at dinner, right? now, Some guy who's a PhD from Concordia University, he wrote an article about this very topic. If you can invite famous people to dinner. And he he did a big survey and he published his results in Psychology Today. And you know who the number one person in the world, people said, if you can invite anyone to dinner, do you know who they chose as number one? It's unbelievable. It's not Jesus. Albert Stinking Einstein. People want to have dinner with Albert Einstein instead of Jesus. Does that tell you there's something wrong with the world today? You know what Albert Einstein gave us? He gave us nuclear bombs. Thanks, Albert. You know who they picked as number two? Charles Darwin. What's wrong with this world? They picked as number one and number two the people that have sent just about more people to hell than anyone else. That's madness. And somewhere ranked further down on the list, eventually you get to Jesus and they ranked him right next to Shakespeare and Leonardo da Vinci. The average person's more interested in two people whose ideas have sent countless numbers to hell then they are interested in the only person who can get them to heaven. Wow. Now today, this is more than just a theoretical question from a PhD student writing in psychology today. This is real. Jesus said that you, here today, could sup with him. And it swings on. Your ability to focus, to see what God says and to hear what God says. And then your ability to believe what God says. And then thirdly, your willingness to pay a price for fellowship with Jesus. And if you're willing to do those three things today, the simplest things, then for you truly, the biggest door does swing on the smallest of hinges. I'm going to ask Brother Glenn if he can come at this time and lead you folks in a hymn of invitation today. If you know me very well, you know I'm not one of these fancy invitation type people twisting your arm psychologically to get you to come forward. But here's what I am telling you today. If you are serious this morning, if you are serious about doing business with the Lord here today, you probably would be willing to come to a prayer altar and say, Lord, I want it. I want it. I want you. I don't want to be on the wrong side of that door here today. Because believe me, there is nothing complicated about the message that I gave you this morning and there's nothing complicated about the truth of what God's Word says there when Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. Amen.